the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 72, August 1971. Western civilization today is approaching the last days of the age of the state. This does not mean that the state will soon disappear or disappear at all, nor does it mean that there is likely to be an immediate decline in the power of the state. On the contrary, the short-run prospect is for vastly increased powers concentrated in the state in the hands of civil government. What it does mean is that the religious expectancy that the state can provide man with the saving power and answers to human needs and problems is waning. For some time now, humanistic man has looked to the state in the same way that Christian men once looked to God. Man's hopes have had a political answer. Political campaigns have had a religious overtone and Politicians and voters have talked about, quote, saving, unquote, the country. That hope and expectancy is now waning. Not too long ago, I had an opportunity to hear a discussion among business executives, only one of whom, an older man, was a conservative of the injustices of various federal regulations. One man suddenly raised a hypothetical question. What would you do if a confiscatory regulation affected you? The immediate response was, conceal and lie. The general attitude was that the state is a potential enemy and an unscrupulous ally at best. The old man, a board chairman, quite emotionally disagreed. I was brought up, he said, to respect my country and to obey it, and however wrong their action, I could not be disloyal or treat it as an enemy. To the others, the old man was a pathetic voice out of the past. They themselves voted to the left, but cynically. Their expectations of the state were cynical, short-run gains, nothing else. Political power in the ancient world was religious power. The state was man's true church, and even his God in some cases. Man's hopes could only be recognized through the state. The ruler was in many cases believed to be a god, or else his office was divine, or the state was a divine order. In any case, man's savior was the state. When St. Peter declared, quote, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, unquote, Acts 4.12, he was not only affirming Christ as Lord and Savior, but denying at the same time that any ruler or Caesar was man's redeemer. For Rome 
The name of the Caesar or emperor was the saving name, the name of power and redemption. The collapse of Rome was twofold. There was first the collapse of belief in the saving power of Rome. The more power became centralized in Rome, the more its failure to cope with man's problems became manifest. The same is true today. The state increases its power, claiming that more power will enable it to solve man's pressing problems. But the increased powers only lead to more aggravated problems and more cynicism and resentment among the people. The concentration of power in the state leads to the inner collapse of the state's authority. This same development occurred within the medieval church. The more powerful it became, the less it could solve its problems and the greater the hostility it aroused. Finally, even the Renaissance popes and their associates viewed their offices with cynicism and expediency. This inner collapse of imperial Rome was very vividly described by the presbyter Salvian. Second, Rome fell physically because, as William Carroll Bark has pointed out, the millions of Rome did not feel it was worth defending against the tens of thousands of barbarians. Today the state is again facing an inner collapse, a decay of authority. There was a time when young men were ready to die for their country, quote, right or wrong, unquote. The nation could command a religious sacrifice such as the Christian martyrs of the early church gave to Christ as they went to death in the arena. It is now becoming difficult for a nation to command loyalty even when it is in the right. The bitterness manifested by youth towards the state is often a religious bitterness, an iconoclastic desire to destroy a false god. In the Middle Ages, the church at one time could bring forth a children's crusade. In more recent times, boys lied about their age to enlist in the armed forces. Now they even maim themselves to avoid service. The causes lie deeper than the unpopularity of the Vietnam War or leftist agitation, although both are important. The last, quote, children's crusade, unquote, commanded by any state was in Red China, the use of the Red Guard, and it ended in disillusionment and serious trouble. The authority of the state is everywhere in decay, but everywhere the state is grasping for more power as the cure-all for man's problems. The powers of the state are thus likely to increase markedly in the years ahead, but that increase is the forerunner of the state's collapse as man's saving agency. The Roman Empire offered the masses, quote, land and employment, food and money. Unquote. According to Levi, this was a Roman application of an idea borrowed from Athens of the 5th century B.C., namely, quote, that the rulers of the state had a duty to help support the citizens, unquote. The function of the state's officers came to be, quote, the collection and redistribution of money and property, unquote. Mario Attilo Levi, Political Power in the Ancient World, page 174F, London, Wyden, Field, and Nicholson, 1965. What men once looked to the gods for, the state now offered to provide. The popularity of such measures was enormous, and the benefits to the empire very great, in that its authority was greatly advanced by the increased scope of its provisions. The fallacy, of course, was a very simple one, and its effect was inevitable. 
The state is not God. It cannot create. To provide land and employment, food and money, the state had to tax and confiscate. It provided resources to the masses at the price of destroying the sources. The masses grew and the producers declined. Faith in the empire also declined and turned gradually into cynicism and contempt. In every era, cynicism and contempt can lead to lawlessness and disorder, never to reformation or reconstruction. Revolution and destruction can be spawned by bitterness and a loss of faith, but not progress. When an era has lost its faith, it seeks to find a substitute for faith in charismatic leaders, and political figures come to the fore whose only asset is their appearance, voice, or glamour. The political leader becomes essentially an actor playing an expected role. The commanding person becomes the substitute for a commanding faith. Moreover, the more man becomes empty spiritually, the more he intensifies his demands materially. What was already impossible for the state to deliver becomes all the more so as men come to imagine that nothing should be withheld from them. Students in an elementary public school in Los Angeles told their teacher that they were, quote, entitled, unquote, to the best homes in Beverly Hills and had a right to take them. After all, that was what democracy was all about. To the man without faith, all things that are logically impossible to others become possible because the discipline of faith is gone. The man who believes in the sovereignty of God and the godly uses of reason under God knows the possibilities as well as the limitations of human action. A madman often does not. Similarly, the man without faith has destroyed the old boundaries and landmarks and his thinking has no discipline to it. A telling cartoon recently depicted the irrationality of the Keynesian economics. A man depicting the economy was standing on the ledge of a very tall building. Behind him, the fire of inflation promised death, and before him, the long leap down ensured death. A modern economist was calling out his advice to the harried man, quote, Jump slowly, unquote. Modern relativism, by denying the absoluteness of truth, has made it possible for people to believe that a man can, quote, jump slowly, unquote. Relativism destroys the old distinctions and restores a belief in magic to an equal footing with long-developed and tested knowledge. Relativism also undercuts all loyalties. Not surprisingly, the state has been a major victim of the erosions of relativistic philosophies. When, early in the 1960s, a college president included in a plea to dissident students a call for, quote, loyalty, unquote, to school and country. The only response was snickers. Few would now dare to make such an appeal. None of the old virtues can be invoked, and no new virtues have replaced them. Instead, a deep resentment and disillusionment prevails, and whether it be the right, left, or center, various groups thrive today by capitalizing on resentment. Resentment against what? It is too hard to get a concrete answer out of many students. The resentment is against the, quote, hypocrisy of the establishment, unquote, the fraud of the social order, the stagnation of leadership, and so on. 
Issues may be cited, notably the war, but the resentment goes deeper than issues. According to Hebrews 12:15, the alternative to faith is a, quote, root of bitterness, unquote, a deeply rooted disposition which sours and pollutes the whole of a man's life. That root of bitterness is deeply embedded in the mind of modern man. His hope, the state, is failing him. The Negroes and the students have demonstrated their bitterness by violence. Their only practical results have been to increase the powers of the state. At Berkeley, the effect of all the student violence has been to increase professors' pay and decrease their working hours as a university bribed to retain their services under such adverse circumstances. We are indeed in the last days of the age of the state. Men are losing their hope in the power of the state to redeem and regenerate man and society. This disillusionment will grow deeper, but at the same time the power of the state will grow stronger. There will be no change until men change, until faith in the state is replaced with faith in the sovereign God not until the law order of God is recognized as man's only true environment. The problem thus, while apparent in the political sphere, most dramatically, is essentially a religious problem. It cannot be reduced to a church problem. To replace the state as man's savior with the church is surely no progress. The urge for institutional salvation and saviors is a desire to have gods that can be pressured, manipulated, and controlled. This is, in essence, paganism. As we analyze the crisis of our age, it is well to remember that the contributions of the state have been real ones, as have been those of the church. Both have an important and continuing function, and a necessary one. The end of the age of the state will not mean the end of civilization, but rather its revitalization. The greatest threat to civilization would be the continued power of the state, a man's saving agency. New foundations are being laid, and the future is as bright as the promises of God. God the Lord reigns, and He alone is sovereign. History is in His hands, not in the hands of the state and its charismatic leaders. To be without God is to be without hope. To believe and obey Him is to be certain of his victory. Calcedon Report number 73, September 1971. A great American business leader and philanthropist, William Volcker, observed in 1918 that, quote, government must be restricted to those activities which can be entrusted to the worst citizens, not the best, unquote. These words ran counter to the developing statism of American life but they reflected the historic American distrust of man and the state. America's Puritan heritage had left its mark on political life. Washington saw the state as a dangerous fire, useful if tamed and guarded, dangerous if unchecked. The purpose of the Constitution of 1787 had been to chain down the federal government in order to free the people while having enough federal civil government for purposes of union and development. The developing theology of the state in Western civilization gradually and steadily eroded the premises of American politics. In its place came the state as, quote, the fatherland, unquote. The word, quote, fatherland, unquote, does not appear in Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. 
It came later from the Dutch and German, although like terms existed in French and other languages. In medieval and Reformation eras, if men spoke of anything like this, it was of God's eternal kingdom. Quote, Jerusalem the Golden, unquote. Bernard of Cluny, or, quote, O Mother Dear Jerusalem, unquote. For the Christian, God was his father by grace, and the term, quote, Mother, unquote, could at best be given to his homeland, which was first of all the Jerusalem from above. In pagan antiquity, the ruler was commonly man's God, Father, and Shepherd. Biblical faith warred against the religion of the state, and a new civilization emerged out of its victory, the, quote, West, unquote. Anton Hilkman, in describing the ideas of Felix Konitsky, contrasted the West and Asia, or Turanian civilization, stating, quote, the West and Turan are absolute contrary poles. The deepest root of this opposition is a fundamentally different attitude towards man and towards the position of an individual in the human group. Tehran does not know man as a person. It does not know any dignity of a person. The individual has value and importance only in his role of a component part of the state's organization. In Turanian civilization, there is legally no such thing as a society in existence. The state is everything. The European lives also in the state. The Turanian lives exclusively in it. Unquote. Introduction to Felix Konetsky on the Plurality of Civilizations, page 27, London, Polonica Publications, 1962. This difference, however, is not one of race or geography, but of religion. Biblical faith gave the West presuppositions which undercut the ancient religion of the state. However, as that faith has waned in the West, the old pagan political theologies have returned. Rulers began to talk of the divine right of kings. Their successors asserted the divine right of democracy and the masses. Quote, the voice of the people is the voice of God. Unquote. For Marxism, the voice of the divine masses is incarnated in the dictatorship of the proletariat and speaks infallibly through them alone. Thus, in place of God the Father of an elect people, the doctrine of the fatherland and elect party ruling it emerged. The powers of God and of man under God are being progressively transferred to the new God, the state. In the process, God was ridiculed and denied. God's government was held to be unjust and partisan because some were predestined to salvation and others to reprobation. Earlier, an oriental story had made the same point. Some children were given a bag of walnuts, and they disagreed as to how to divide it, and the town sage was asked to do it. His response was, quote, How do you wish me to divide these walnuts among you? Shall I do it according to principles of divine or of human justice? Unquote. The children asked for divine justice. The old man then gave one walnut to one boy two to another, a dozen to the next one, and then the whole bag to another. When the boys protested, the old man answered, quote, Did you not ask me to divide your walnuts according to divine justice? And does not providence always proceed in this manner when dividing her favors among mankind? Unquote. 
The state offered a, quote, better, unquote, answer. The state steadily gained increasing power in its effort to bring, quote, true justice, unquote, to the human scene. And this true justice increasingly came to mean equality. Walnuts for all in abundance was the state's professed goal. Increasingly, the walnuts have ended in the state's coffers, and instead of justice, the state has been seen as the source of increasing injustice. As Galore observed of the paternal state in 1898, it leads progressively to social hatred and dissatisfaction among the people, and insecurity for the state. Everybody always is expecting from omnipotent managers virtues which nobody possesses, unquote. Henry Galore, The Paternal State in France and Germany, page 223, New York, Harper, 1898. The irresponsibility of the state is a product not only of man's sinful nature, but of his humanism. The humanist faith is ably summed up in the motto of a publication by, quote, Marx's humanist, unquote. News and letters, quote, human power is its own end, unquote. There is no God or law beyond man. Therefore, human power is its own end, its own law. Justice, as George Orwell saw, quickly disappears from such a faith, and all that remains is human power expressing itself as naked power, a boot stomping on a human face forever. Humanism has not only worked to destroy religious authority of the older biblical form, but it has undercut its own, quote, rational legal, quote, authority. Henry Adams, early in the century, wrote that, quote, it will not need another century or half a century to tip thought upside down. Law, in that case, would disappear as theory or a priori principle and give place to force. Morality would become police. Explosives would reach cosmic violence. Disintegration would overcome integration According to Shar, the ethical relativism of the modern era is destroying it. Quote, the modern man, having now reached nearly full development, is turning back upon itself and undermining the very principles that once sustained order and obedience in the modern state. Unquote. Moreover, Shar holds that, quote, the contemporary social science has failed to appreciate the precariousness of legitimate authority in the modern state, because it is largely a product of the same phenomena. It seeks to describe and therefore suffers the blindness of the eye examining itself." Unquote. Justice in the modern state has come to mean material abundance for all and security for all in spite of their improvidence. Both states and people have become relativistic in their morality. Practically, moral relativism means, quote, What's in it for me? Unquote. Authority has been attacked as an enemy of liberty, but as Shar asked, quote, Can anyone today still believe that liberty expands as authority contracts? Unquote. With the breakdown of authority, civilization is itself breaking down, and liberty is waning. Shar, whose viewpoint differs from ours, very ably raises the fundamental question. Quote, but it is clear for our time, as Philip Reif has written, the question is no longer as Dostoevsky put it, quote, can civilized men believe? Unquote. Rather, quote, can unbelieving men be civilized? Unquote. 
John H. Shar, quote, Reflections on Authority, unquote, in New American Review, number 8, pages 44 through 80, New York, New American Library, 1970. The state appeared on the scene in the medieval era as the unifier of civilization and as its defender and champion. The more the state has gained its goals and separated itself from biblical faith and law, the more it has become the destroyer of civilization. Statist man who sees the state as his father and shepherd, under whose care man shall not want, is progressively a new barbarian, welcoming statist measures which destroy his liberties and seeing these measures as great blessings. Imperial salvation in Rome meant cradle-to-grave security on the imperial estate where serfdom was born. For the imperial serfs, quote, salvation means to be delivered from the uncertainties of freedom into the blessed assurance of a welfare government which provided for their entire lifetime, unquote. As Ramsey pointed out, quote, the paternal government was salvation in the estimate of the cultivators on the estates. The salvation of Jesus and of Paul was freedom. The salvation of the imperial system was serfdom, unquote. Sir W. M. Ramsey, The Bearing of Recent Discovery on the Trustworthiness of the New Testament, page 197F, 4th edition, London, Hodder and Stoughton, 1920. As the state gains power to, quote, save, unquote, man, it distrusts power in all other hands with increasing fervor. It is a serious offense in the Soviet Union to give private charity. Because such gifts establish a bond between people, which is a power outside the state. An American historian writing in 1944 satirized the new philosophy of work emerging among status social scientists. According to Andrews, such men believe that we must have an entirely new philosophy of work. Work must be recognized not as a virtue or a blessing, but as an intrinsic evil. Work is power and the modern trend is of necessity to subject power to increase social regulation and supervision. An automobile, a revolver, a medical or legal education, a fishing rod, are all embodiments of power of one sort or another. As such, society requires their possessors to secure a license or permit of some kind as a guarantee that the power will not be used to social detriment. When mechanization has been carried to its ultimate perfection, there will be so little of routine production left for human hands and minds to do that in all probability there will be actual competition for the doing of it for its own sake. Matthew Page Andrews, Social Planning by Frontier Thinkers, pages 56 double F, New York, Richard R. Smith, 1944. Andrews foresaw a day when work would be distrusted and regulated by the state as an alien power and attempts made by automation to, quote, free, unquote, man from work in order to give the state unhindered control of power. His book today reads less like a satire and more like a report. As the state has gained power, it has also lost authority. Heads of state are less and less revered figures held in respect and awe by the citizenry. More and more as the modern era has advanced towards its logical end, the protection of heads of state from their own peoples becomes an increasingly more urgent problem. 
security measures grow more and more severe in order to protect rulers, and on both sides of the Iron Curtain, the state sees the people as an enemy and a threat. The state everywhere now has power, in fact, steadily increasing power, with steadily diminishing authority. The state's power is like the gold of Toulouse. It brings shame, dishonor, evil, and disaster, and calamity upon calamity. The state, like Oscar Wilde, de profundis, has denied God and his law to hold that, quote, the false and the true are merely forms of intellectual existence, unquote. And it has thereby made its own authority another myth as well. As a result, it has produced the new barbarian who believes nothing, respects nothing, and works to destroy everything, especially the state and its, quote, establishment, unquote. The state thus, while more powerful than before, and likely to increase very markedly in power in the immediate future, is increasingly in a state of siege. As it moves towards total power, it also incurs total guilt and total attack. To meet attack from its own, quote, sons, unquote, the state has only an intellectual void and the power of the gun. In 1960, Daniel Bell wrote on the end of ideology, and President John F. Kennedy at the Yale commencement declared that man's problems were no longer ideological, religious, or philosophical, but technological. After Comte, he held that man had passed the age of religion or mythology and the age of philosophy or speculation, during which times meaning was basic to man. In the age of science, technology or method is everything supposedly. Against this emptiness, college students and others, themselves empty, have rebelled. The fatherland should provide life and meaning, but instead it offers death, or war, and a denial of meaning. Earlier marches and demonstrations were in effect cries of, quote, O Bell, hear us, unquote. Now Bell is hated and bombed by a generation as blind and empty as Bell. Men can kill and destroy out of hatred. They can only build in faith. Our status age will continue to flounder in its meaningless and downward course, hating its false god while believing in nothing else. It will, like the bell worshippers of old, mutilate itself while it assails also its false god, because it knows no other hope. A biblical faith to offer man hope must restore the dimensions of victory and insist on the radical responsibility of the believer to work in Christ to make all things new. David Little has shown that for the Anglicans of the 17th century, the Word of God and the Christian faith meant that which is, quote, old, unquote. To conform rather than reform was their concern. The Puritans, on the other hand, saw the Word of God as ever fresh and new and as the continually reforming force in society. David Little, Religion, Order, and Law, A Study in Pre-Revolutionary England, New York, Harper, 1969. Not surprisingly, Puritanism triumphed as long as it maintained this faith. A faith which hopes for escape from the world is doomed neither to escape nor to triumph. Those who, under God, are confident that the sovereign and omnipotent God has called His people to victory will experience both battle and victory. 
History is not a spectator sport. There are no sidelines. It is a battle, and its results either in victory or defeat. Those who expect to escape or to sit on the sidelines will be the first victims. Why be well the battle? Get off your duff and work for victory. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he has shown us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me.
the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.